Hello and welcome to The Executive Technologist, the podcast for people interested in all things technology and leadership. Over the course of this series, I'll be interviewing successful IT professionals about the highs and lows of their careers, as well as discussing their thoughts about the future of our industry. My name is Josh Hill. Let's get started. My guest today is Connor Hughes. Connor, thank you very much for joining us. If you can, please tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm the Chief Technology Officer of DX Labs. Um, we are digital experience and transformation specialists. We build great customer experiences, optimize and automate business processes, and most importantly, ensure delivery. So um, we deliver using a variety of platforms and tools. It's, uh, it's a challenging market at the moment, but we've gone through the surviving and never thriving phase. So uh, yeah, through the, through the pandemic, it's been interesting. I think in the common with a lot of organizations in in March during the during the lockdown, um, you know, there was a lot of forming, norming, storming, and then we got through to the performing phase. So, you know, I think in common with some organizations, um, you know, we saw a little bit of dip in productivity, which was not to be unexpected when people had families at home. But I think throughout the uh, the pandemic, um, uh, you know, we've seen a, a an uplift in um, in productivity from the team, and I think people have got more work-life integration, um, you know, whilst there may be more Zoom meetings and back-to-back Zoom meetings um, and a little bit of Zoom fatigue, but I think that, you know, on balance, it's, it's worked out well for, for us as an organization. I looked at LinkedIn profile earlier today, obviously see 20 plus years, you know, government, investment banking, wealth management, and then into startup land, uh, mm. kind of took you to where you are now and where's that real kind of area of passion, if you will, within tech? Yeah, look, I've I've worked in um, you know at the outset of my career, I worked in startups in the dot com era in Dublin, and then um, through my time in Australia, I've worked for um, ASX two hundred large global banking organisations and large global fintechs, and and then latterly, I've been working with um, with startups and scale ups. Um, look, I, I guess I like a challenge. Um, I've got a parallel. Sporting CV. Um, uh, I've played in coach rugby for for 25 years, and from there um, I took up um, swimming, learned to swim proficiently, and then that segued into doing Ironmans. And from there, I that was taking a lot of time, so I went from Ironmans to cycling, and found some success at that. And I've raced for Australia a couple of times in um, South Africa and Italy and um, also domestically in the, the Australian National Road Series. As fun as all that, that was, um, yeah, I've you know, retired at the peak, I guess. Um, and over the last couple of years, uh, I've been surf ski paddling, which is um, still fun. And I've done some long distance events of paddle between Molokai and Oahu to raise money for cancer research. Yeah. Um, but it's uh, it's a little safer on the uh, on the water than it is on the road. Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, drivers in all parts of the world are not known for being kind to cyclists. Um, <laughs> I saw you were involved with Tour de Cure, as you mentioned before, as well as a, as a board member, which is great as well. Uh, always good to help out there. Yeah, I'm on the um, the tech committee for um, Tour de Cure. So look, it's it's been able to to mesh and meld two you know, two parts of my life. So. Obviously, um, you know, the cycling part, um, I've got a lot of domain experience there uh, and also on the technology part. So I've been working with um, TDC to um, uplift their technology platforms and to um, provide some guidance and um, platform selection um, and 
yeah, we're also looking at doing some um, digital transformation work with them as well. So look, it's, it's good to be able to give back. Or for example, in the NBN, there was the, the potential to take Australia from being a resource-based um, and property-based economy, holes and houses, if you will, to be a knowledge-based economy. So the potential for, you know, for societal good to be able to take you know, Australia into the, uh, into the digital economy to mitigate the tyranny of distance, to be the, the snowy hide cream of the 21st century. Um, it's kind of worked out, but there are still some areas for improvement. You know, still some questions around longevity of the, the current tech solution that's um, been provided by the MBN. And, you know, will it be fit for purpose for, you know, the Netflixes um, of 2025? You know, there's some, some questions around that. But, um, you know, look, there also may be adoption of um, technologies like 5G. Um, I think that, you know, there's, uh, there's definite potential for that to happen. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, um, I don't think anybody ever foresaw uh, everybody suddenly working from home uh, during a pandemic when they thought about the NBN. Maybe it would have been a whole different solution if they had thought so. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, look, you know, the, the, in, in fairness to the NBN, um, you know, once they release more, um, more CPCs, more capacity, um, you know, the, the contention issues um, were mitigated and um, I was able to do my back-to-back -back Zoom calls and team meetings um, quite happily, so it was all good. It's it. I'm sure we'll talk more about Zoom fatigue in due course, but I'm interested to know your uh, parallels, I guess, between technology leadership and endurance and, and all the work that goes with, you know, you versus you almost out there on the road or even out there in the water. Have you found that being good at one has helped you being good at the other? Yeah, look, in my sporting career, look, I needed to be um, really efficient and, um, you know, time box um, everything in order to do, you know, to compete at a, at a high level um, nationally in cycling. I needed to be very efficient with my training. Um, you know, there was no, um, you know, no riding to the coffee shop and just chilling out with my mates. It was, you know, there was a definite aim to every, um, every session and that's, I think transferred to my corporate career, you know, a, you know, a time box activities and um, look to continually improve. Um, so, you know, looking to not, maybe not always um, achieve personal bests in what I'm trying to do, but, you know, always looking for that incremental improvement to, um, to gain those uh, performance gains. So, you know, looking at processes, um, you know, so I can understand, how um, we can do things better. I'm data orientated, so I'd look at my training data and I'd look and analyze um, training data for areas for improvement. And I guess I do the same thing, um, you know, whether it's now looking at, um, uh, you know, reports from Azure or AWS, looking at um, service spikes, um, you know, looking for areas of improvement and you know, where, uh, for example, we can reduce costs on, on billing um, and remove uh, redundant services, for example. In terms of um, how that then relates to the current environment, what we're going through with, with COVID, I know that you and I have talked about talent shortages a couple of times over the years and maybe how this will be new ways of working. What do you take on that? What do you think that we're going to see maybe if there is any silver linings to, to talent shortages uh, or perceived talent shortages? Yeah, look, one of the funny things um, about COVID, it's, it's really crystallized for me that, you know, I, I've gone into offices for the last 20 years of my career to work remotely. Um, so, you know, whether it be um, working as part of a global team with, you know, 
teams in, in Wall Street and, and in the city in London, um, or, you know, with offshore teams in, in India and, um, and Poland. Um, you know, it, it's really shown the last five months that, you know, you don't need to be in the same physical space to be productive. Um, you know, I think that that's a de- going to be a definite challenge. I see in Silicon Valley in the U.S. that um, San Francisco is um, not quite emptying out, but it's um, it's seeing a, a large outflow of um, tech professionals to other areas where they can work remotely and not have to pay such you know such high rents or have a, a very high cost of living. And I think you know that is something that we will see in um, in Australia. I think you know in the future perhaps there will be more people living in regional Australia, you know, in, in the oranges or the Bathursts of, uh, of New South Wales, for example, working remotely. You know, it doesn't make much difference um, to me as a, as a leader if my, uh, you know, if my, my team are in um, North Sydney, um, Liverpool or um, Wagga Wagga, right? Um, as long as, you know, as long as they're, um, they're available and uh, getting through through their work, it's, it's all good. Now, the next question is whether or not you want to um, hire outside of your time zone. So there are some challenges, you know, if you're hiring people on the West Coast, who's at the time difference, or in NZ, again, because of the, the two hour time difference. Um, but, you know, these are, these are doable. Um, you know, would I look at hiring somebody from the UK? Um, Potentially, but you know, again, this to be um, in order to ensure that there's overlap, there's, uh, there's going to be a challenge there. Do you think that will precipitate a, uh, a change of mentality, if you will, or even potentially a change in the guard uh, when it comes to those uh, old school leaders and maybe that new generation coming through? Look, I, I say to my team, I don't need to see you to know that you're being productive, right? You know, um, and you know, if you're if you've got a command and control mentality, then that's going to be difficult to change. Now, I think in the last ten years, with the um, with the adoption of agile, um, I think that you know self-organizing teams have um, become more prevalent, more accepted. Um, you know, rather than the old project manager-driven Microsoft project plan-driven um, you know uh, implementations, I think there's more self-organizing teams um, and it's become an accepted way of delivery and iterating over solution is an accepted way of of, uh, of delivering um, and you know the benefits have been recognized and I think I've seen a few um, a few studies um, by different consultancies saying that agile has been very successful um, as a um, delivery methodology throughout the pandemic um, you know, organizations that have stayed in a command and control mentality haven't been as successful but you know organizations who've uh, adopted agile who've had small um small teams you know the the two pizza teams in, in the amazon sense um who are um working on on solutions and iterating over solutions and having high contact contact <laughs> for want of a better word um are being successful yeah absolutely it's um it's been very interesting to see i think what what changes in terms of agile whether people can do all, all the you know the kind of necessary steps that comes with it, retros and everything, maybe remotely. I know it's done quite regularly now, but a lot of people still like to physically have people stand up and, and be around each other. Yeah, look, I think in, in the future, um, I think you know uh, the hybrid model um, will be um, will be successful. So that there will be times where um, you know for for workshopping or ideation or. Um, that iteration zero, um, as you're doing a design sprint, 
um, where having everybody in a in a room doing big room planning is um, you know is a, a success mode. Um, but do you need to have um, real estate with harbor views um, and pay you know pay that rent um, on a basis? Um, at least in technology, I don't think so. Having the ability to come together um, as a team um, and needs be is good. And there's you know, a variety of different office solutions out there um, who can um, provide that sort of capability and flex. Rise well, co-working potentially. Um, yeah. What do you think it will have in terms of an impact when it comes to, as you've alluded to there, ancillary services, you know, property, uh, retail, even cars, maybe people maybe not needing those as much. How do you think we're going to see a different economy moving forward? It's a wide question. Um, I'm a big Tesla fan because essentially Teslas are, um, you know, big computers and they update themselves um, regularly. Um, and you know, the ability to do autonomous driving is something that's um, very cool. And the artificial intelligence part of is also cool. Um, and I, you know, I've seen around where I live, I've seen. Um, garages closing, so petrol stations closing, and I think that's going to be an ongoing trend. Um, you'll see more charging stations and less petrol stations. From a real estate perspective, I think there's definitely going to be impact. Um, you know, will we still still need um, mega cities where there's you know, tens of millions of people? Yeah, it's, it's an open question. Well, you know, will you see a mass exodus into the country? I, I, you know, it's, it's again, it's an open question. It's, um, but if you can work remotely, if you can move up to, to Byron and if you can do your job from, from Byron, then hey, you know, good luck to you. You know, if you can go um, have, a, have a nice climate and, uh, you know, go surfing and do whatever you want to do um, and around your work and make that work for you, then yeah, I think that's a definite, uh, there's a definite possibility there. Yeah, work life integration, it doesn't sound half bad, does it? <laughs> Yeah, Tesla's still by far the best car I've ever driven. And, and I think as it starts to get a little bit more cost-effective, it's going to spell a lot of trouble for traditional car manufacturers uh, because that electric vehicle, it's, uh, it's something else. I look at um, the infotainment systems in, in cars and I see, you know, they've got a cars, car manufacturers have, you know, five-year development cycles and that's reflected in their, um, in the technology that they've got as part of their car infotainment systems. So, you know, one of my pet peeves is, um, you know, using the, the inbuilt navigation systems of, of cars is so, you know, so unfriendly and the user experience is poor. Um, but Tesla, because they can update on the fly, they've got fast, fast iterative um, build cycles, can, can test and release, test and release. Um, whereas uh, it doesn't seem to happen with the traditional automakers as, uh, as much. Bringing it back to technology for a moment and closer to home, I was reading a Gartner report this morning that uh, said that around 10% was the expected budget cut or IT budget cut for the coming year. If you're in that seat, how do you go about maximising the value and, and what do you do with that pot of money that's uh, suddenly a lot less than it was before? Yeah, look, um, one of the things that um, that I did at the, the start of at the outset of the pandemic was to review, uh, review the entire project portfolio and, you know, scrutinize to see um, what projects and initiatives are important and how they fit in with them, um, with products, with their, with their new projects um, and priorities. Some people have prioritized um, work that's complete and then, you know, reducing phase twos, for example. Um, you know, that's something that I've seen in the market. Look, there's, there's some challenges there um, with, with IT 
budgets being reduced. And you know, there's also potential that some organizations may have a reflexive action to reduce spend on innovation, for example. It might look good short term on the books, but um, long term, you know, if you're if you're not innovating, you're going to get outcompeted by your competitors. So, you know, if you're if you're standing still, um, somebody, as has been shown in the technology industry, time and time again, um, somebody will out innovate you and, and eat your lunch. Will budget cuts um, impact spend on technologies like blockchain, for example, potentially, um, you know, unless you have a sound business case, um, you know, you shouldn't be in the blockchain space, but yeah, look, it's, uh, it, I guess it's really, it's a situational and organizational question as to how individual companies deal with their, with their budget cuts. Let's get started talking about ICOs. That's a topic that we could probably spend all day talking about, but um, certainly something that I'm seeing in the marketplace and speaking to technology leaders is that um, there's a lot of uh, scrutiny, as you rightly mentioned, around business critical applications and, and where the money goes. But if you ask 10 different leaders, they're going to give you 10 different answers around what is the most important thing for them at the moment, infrastructure modernization, security, you know, new development, whatever that may be. Is there a silver bullet um, to get us through these unprecedented times, to use the word of 2020? There's a silver bullet. Uh, look, it's a... It's need to take a number of approaches. Um, one of the things that um, I've seen through uh, out the course of the last um, five months has been uh, an increase in um, in security risks and cyber risk. Um, you know, there's been uh, a, a massive um, increase, sevenfold increase in phishing attacks, people shifting to working from home. Um, they may not have um, the infrastructure to, to support us. Um, you know, we were lucky we have VPNs. That gives a, a level of comfort, but you know, there's organizations out there who don't use multi-factor authentication, for example, um, and VPNs and best practices. You know, so they're potentially um, at, at risk. Um, you know, building cyber resilience is, uh, is, is definitely something that I would look to do to improve. Uh, it's not a silver bullet, but it's definitely something I would look to do to position organizations to come out of um, the pandemic well, and also um, through the pandemic as well. As you say, in terms of you know, difficult, unprecedented, and all the superlatives that you want to throw it in, there's certainly plenty out there. Uh, if you read the news at the moment, come at this from whichever way you like, be it an internal team perspective, uh, you know, external vendors, you know, whatever, whatever is most applicable. Um, how would you, you know, give advice to somebody who's maybe listening in here and wasn't ready for a pandemic and comes in and they're going, geez, what's next? What's the next option for me? How do I navigate through um, these difficult times and keep delivering value for my business? Yeah, look, I think, you know, we're all moving from, are attempting to move from surviving to thriving. Um, perhaps I'm a little bit biased working in a, in a scaling organization, but I think having a startup mindset is, is important. Um, you know, having a um, experimental um, attitude where, you know, you go through a gated process and if something isn't working, reset um, and reprioritize in the lean startup uh, mode so you can um, ensure that, you know, you're you're not going to to burn cash on something that's not going to be successful. I think also, you know, people need to be at the core um, of you know the next normal. People need to think uh, and have a have their operating model based around how people work best. You know, uh, um, I've seen in my team that some of my team will 
um, go offline um, in the middle of the day to do school pickups and and um, and also drop-offs. Um, and then you know they get their work done um, later in the evening, and that's you know work-life integration. I think it's um, you know this one of the one of the positives from the pandemic has been you know that that is a is a reality for people to you know to to make the time work for them, and you know we don't see any drop-off in productivity, so it's uh, it's a win-win for everyone. Certainly to your point, uh, I guess one of the silver linings that I'm seeing is the re-emergence of uh, the human element back into everyday life. Um, you know, seeing on social media platforms, people going out of their way to help people, certainly you know, during difficult times um, with job opportunities and doing everything they can to try to, um, yeah, to try to kind of reconnect that human element, which is ironic given the, the physical distance thanks to COVID. But um, hopefully that's one of the things that we can take forward moving into uh, the post-COVID world. As bad as um, the the pandemic has been, um, you know, there are some some positives that have come out of this. I, I keep pushing uh, myself and my team to think about how we can use um, this inflection point to to reimagine our potential together. Um, so rather than just going back to let's do what we what we were doing before, you know, let's look at how we can improve. Um, you know, and there's been definite opportunities for for improvement across um, you know the, the last. Um, couple of months. One of the things I asked my my team is, you know, are you brave enough to dispense what made us successful um, yesterday and look at doing things new and differently? Um, and how can we how can we progress? How can we do things better? As always, Connor, it's uh, full of information and useful useful tidbits, much like uh, your social media profiles. Uh, what's the best way for people to follow you? Yeah, you can um, you can find me on LinkedIn and on Twitter. Thanks again for, for taking the time, Connor. Really appreciate you being our guinea pig for the day and being the first guest on the Executive Technologist podcast. And, uh, mate, look forward to hopefully catching up again in person post-COVID. But stay safe, stay well. Great. Thanks so much, Josh.